This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Hope you're okay. It's Wednesday, January the 12th. Coming up, you can hear a heartbreaking interview with a man who was targeted by two paramedics who preyed on dying patients to get drugs. They've now been jailed. We have details of their sentences. But first, an update on yesterday's top story. And the Prime Minister has admitted he was at the Bring Your Own Booze party in the Garden of Downing Street on the 20th of May 2020. Boris Johnson made this statement at the start of Prime Minister's questions in the Commons at lunchtime. Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I know that millions of people across this country have made extraordinary sacrifices over the last 18 months. I know the anguish that they have been through, unable to mourn their relatives, unable to live their lives as they want or to do the things they love. And I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself the rules are not being properly followed by the people who make the rules. And though I cannot anticipate the conclusions of the current inquiry, I have learned enough to know that there were things we simply did not get right. And I must take responsibility. Number 10 is a big department with the garden as an extension of the office, which has been in constant use because of the role of fresh air in stopping the virus. And when I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May 2020 to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working, I believed implicitly that this was a work event. But, Mr Speaker, with hindsight, I should have sent everyone back inside. I should have found some other way to thank them. And I should have recognised that even if it could be said technically to fall within the guidance, there would be millions and millions of people who simply would not see it that way, people who suffered terribly, people who were forbidden from meeting loved ones at all, inside or outside. And to them and to this House, I offer my heartfelt apologies. And all I ask is that Sue Gray be allowed to complete her inquiry into that day and several others so that the full facts can be established. And I would, of course, come back to this House and make a statement. Labour leader Sakir Starmer and a number of other MPs called on Mr Johnson to resign during the heated session. The Prime Minister urged them all to wait for the findings of an independent investigation which is currently being carried out. Well, we've again today asked Kent's MPs for their response. North Thanet Sir Roger Gale has tweeted, Bring a bottle to a work event is a novel idea, very thin ice indeed. He's also reiterated that he wrote to the 1922 committee a year ago calling for a leadership election and and this has recently been refreshed. I think this is probably the third strike, and I say that with a heavy heart, because nobody wants a leadership contest in the middle of a pandemic. Um, 
But the Prime Minister, I think, has put the Conservative Party and the backbench particularly in a very difficult position. Kent's only Labour MP, Rosie Duffield, has posted, you know it's all over for hashtag Johnson when his desperate backbenchers are asking him hashtag PMQs on their local parks and washing machine manufacturing. She was referring there to two other questions that were asked of the Prime Minister earlier on today. Well, with analysis on what's been said in relation to that Downing Street party, here's our political editor, Paul Francis. Now, it has to be said, it was an apology which was heavily qualified and Mr Johnson told MPs that he had understood the event was effectively uh, an extension of officials who had been working inside Downing Street, taking their work outside. Now, I think this stretched credulity for some, but at least it could be said that Boris Johnson has finally acknowledged that he has to act much more openly and candidly when it comes to issues like this. There's no doubt that, even amongst loyal backbenchers, that this episode has diminished his authority and left a lot of Conservative activists wondering whether he is the right man to be Prime Minister. Plenty of chat about all of this on social media today and it is getting rather a lot of you quite angry. I've been having a look through the comments on our story at kentonline.co.uk. Summerwell has written Johnson apologises in inverted commas for not understanding the rules he set. A ludicrous proposition which insults our intelligence. Gypsy Vardo has said maybe everyone who breaks the law can now say they want a public inquiry to establish whether they did it or not. Slip Digby has said, well, that was highly entertaining PMQs. I enjoyed watching our disgrace of a PM squirm. I'm sorry, I didn't realise I was breaking the law. I'm sure criminals up and down the country will use this ingenious get-out-of-jail-free card from now on. The Met Police should now be investigating this. Anyone involved in these work events at number 10 should be prosecuted and lose their jobs. Finally, we've got one comment that just says... Too little, too late. We can continue to have your say at kentonline.co.uk or via our socials. If we do get more responses today from our MPs, we will, of course, include them in the story. We're staying with COVID and the number of people testing positive in Kent has started to drop. Latest figures show cases fell by about 4% in the week to last Thursday, but they're still rising in Swale, Folkestone and Hythe, Dover and Thanet, which has overtaken Dartford as having the highest infection rate in the county. Across Kent, more than 400 COVID patients are in hospital and 18 deaths were recorded in the seven days to New Year's Eve. Elsewhere, the boss of the Port of Dover is calling on the government to help them access COVID tests for their key workers. Doug Bannister says he's applied to a scheme providing lateral flow kits to vital staff but is struggling to get hold of them. It's feared operations at the border could be delayed if too many workers are off with coronavirus. And it comes as France is preparing to reopen its borders to UK holiday makers within days. The country introduced a ban on non-essential travel on December the 18th in an attempt to slow the spread of the Omicron variant. It means a lot of passengers have been unable to use cross-channel ferry and train services from Dover and Folkestone. Kent Online News. 
Other top stories for you today. And a man's been taken to a London hospital after being stabbed in Dimchurch. Emergency services were called to the central car park next to Augerswick Avenue this morning. Our reporter Alex G is at the scene for the podcast. Well, there's a huge police presence here in Dimchurch today after a man in his 20s was found with serious stab injuries. The man was found by ambulance services in a car in Augerswick Avenue and police have since arrested a 29-year-old man on suspicion of assault. And police are searching nearby too. Forensic officers have been seen going in and out of a flat next to the car park uh, where it is believed that the incident first took place. Uh, There is a bloody handprint on the door and uh, a heavy police uh, presence around it. Thanks ever so much, Alex. A man from Sittingbourne's been jailed after trying to groom a child online. 54-year-old Michael Smith from Canterbury Road sent indecent images and videos of himself to someone he believed was 13 years old. It was actually a fake account which was then used to report the man to the police. Officers are trying to identify four people involved in a fight outside a Sittingbourne nightclub. Violence broke out on the high street in the early hours of New Year's Day. CCTV images have been released by detectives and you can see them by heading to the website. Now, two women who posed as nurses and stole drugs from patients in Kent receiving end-of-life care have been jailed. 33-year-old Ruth Lambert and Jessica Sylvester, who's 29, took morphine and other painkillers from elderly people in Thanet, Canterbury, Whitstable, Faversham and Herne Bay. They had access to patients through their roles as paramedics with South East Coast Ambulance Service. Colin Singleton from Strood was targeted after his wife passed away. He's been speaking to our court reporter, Sean Axtell. Within five hours of my wife's death, somebody phoned me saying they were from the district nurses. I couldn't believe they'd be so callous as to phone me so quick, but they put me under pressure to come around and collect the drugs. They were there within five minutes. They asked for more when I only gave them some of them, but I was so annoyed, I basically told them to go away, or words to that effect. Uh, And what what happened then after you asked them to leave? They looked, or she looked frightened. And when you say say she, which which one of the defendants was that? I'm 99% sure it was Lambert. And uh, how do you feel, firstly, how do you feel now they've been sentenced, and what do you think about about the five-year custodial term they were given? Is Is it enough? I wish it was more. I mean, I've got to live with the fact that whenever I think about my wife, I cannot get that situation out of my head. Yes. They didn't allow me to, or my family to grieve properly. And will you be able to find any, any more closure now that they've been sentenced? Will that, will that help? I think the main closure that I will get is that they've been stopped. That other people don't have to go through this. The sentence to me is... I won't say irrelevant, but I wish it was higher. If, if you could just give them a message now, because bear in mind this is a public record, what we're saying, mm-hmm. what would you like them to hear from you if they were to hear our conversation today? The, the, the damage it does to people's mind, the, the fact that I couldn't, or my family couldn't grieve properly, that I don't know the other victims, how they were targeted, but believe one of them they took virtually all their painkilling drugs when they needed them 
That's just unforgivable. Lambert and Sylvester from Gap Road in Margate were arrested last August and have been sentenced to five years each. You can see pictures of them within our story at Kent Online. Dr Fiona Moore is the Medical Director for South East Coast Ambulance Service NHS Foundation Trust. She has issued a statement. It says, We are shocked and saddened at the lengths to which these former members of staff went to to commit their crimes and our thoughts are with all those affected. Their behaviour was a clear and targeted abuse of their position and does not reflect the commitment and integrity of our staff. As soon as we became aware of the allegations, we took swift action to suspend and then dismiss both individuals, working closely with Kent Police. The Kent Online Podcast. With Ball in Maidstone. The rollout of smart motorways is being paused because of safety concerns. The Department for Transport has said today it's going to temporarily stop building roads with no hard shoulder, like the stretch on the M20 near Maidstone. Now, it follows a major report which says five years' worth of data is needed to look into crashes. Nicholas Lies from the RAC is welcoming the decision. Clearly, drivers feel very uncomfortable and feel very unsafe travelling on these types of motorways, and that is because of the risk of what might happen to them if they break down in a live lane which could be very, very terrifying indeed. A cemetery in Chatham has been targeted by fly tippers for the second time in two weeks. A huge mound of rubbish was found at the graveyard in Maidstone Road on Sunday. It included building waste, wooden planks and bin bags. Bosses have described it as extremely disrespectful and upsetting. Figures seen by the Kent Online podcast show more than 1,500 households are on a waiting list for social housing in Thanet. The council owns around 3,000 properties in the area and has been forced to house some people up to 30 miles away in an emergency. At Kent Online, you can read about two mums who've been forced to move from the area. The authority says they always look to move people back to the district as soon as possible. Now, Southern Water have postponed a public meeting in Thanet designed to rebuild trust following a sewage spill scandal because so many people wanted to go along. The company was fined a record £90 million, you may remember, last year for waste releases into the sea off the Kent coast. Well, the meeting was due to be held tomorrow and chaired by MP Craig McKinley, but it was feared the venue would be too small for social distancing. Rob Yates is a councillor in Thanet. He's been speaking to Kat from our colleagues at KMTV. I think it just shows you that um, the public are angry and the public rightly um, want answers as to why sewage is being dumped in the sea, that why the people can't do sea swimming around our beautiful coastline with all our blue flag beaches. And it just shows you that um, Southern Water is unwilling to even have an open, um, internet-friendly Zoom-style meeting. And instead, they've just backed off and said, oh, uh, we don't want this to happen, basically. Now, COVID is a very good reason, but um, uh, you do, there are, like right now, we're speaking through technology. Uh, The council is still operating even through the pandemic. Um, we use technology all the time to get around these issues. So, um, simple case of why can't we do it online? Do you feel this is a bit of an excuse considering obviously Southern Water have said to me in a statement that they have been overwhelmed with the amount of people wanting to attend. Do you think they've seen that number of people wanting to talk to them and probably felt a little bit, you know, a, a little bit concerned about how the meeting was going to go? Um, well, I think everyone is concerned that uh, raw sewage, and we're not even talking um, diluted sewage, sometimes it's like physical lumps of sewage is being dumped in our sea, you know, that that concerns everyone. And um, 
uh, basic questions need to be answered, like why why can't uh, Southern Water meet the pumping speeds that they're required to meet under their permit? Uh, these are basic questions, and um, if the if they can't answer that, then the anger will continue. So until they get a handle on it, I think they will uh, see very large meetings um, and huge numbers of people wanting to attend because this affects us, affects uh, uh, the kids of the planet and quite rightly, there's a lot of anger. Southern Water say they're working to find a suitable venue and are sorry for having to cancel. They'll provide details as soon as possible. Kent Online reports. Concerns have again been raised over the number of sinkholes appearing in parts of Kent. It's understood private talks have been held between South East Water, the County Council and Maidstone MP Helen Grant as they try to find a solution to the problem. Last October, part of the A26 Tunbridge Road had to be closed when a hole opened up. Two months earlier, another the road sunk in bombing. There's a warning of freezing fog and minus temperatures in Kent this weekend. An extended cold snap is expected to hit the county from tomorrow night. The UK Health Security Agency has issued a cold weather alert for central and southern England. More than £10,000 has been raised in memory of a 21-year-old paramedic from Kent who died when an ambulance crashed near Sevenoaks. The vehicle Alice Clark was in collided with a cement lorry on the A21 last Wednesday night. Two others were injured and one remains in hospital. Alice, who was from Newington, had only joined South East Coast Ambulance Service last November after studying at the University of Greenwich. I've been speaking to Richard Ward, who was Alice's lecturer. I was at, with Alice at her graduation in October last year, um, celebrating the you know fantastic achievement she had accomplished and, you know, such a happy time for her, her friends and family. And of course, a few months down the line, you know, completely opposite end of the spectrum and, and facing the tragic events that have recently occurred. So, so yeah, certainly a shock and, and very upsetting. There have been some really lovely tributes paid to Alice. You, as you say, you knew her very well through teaching her. Tell us what she was like. Alice, yeah, she was genuinely a very kind and caring and compassionate person. Certainly it was her, her dream job. She was very intelligent um, and a really nice student to have on a programme, some, you know, a, a role model of a student, if you like, and somebody we really valued as, as a student on the programme. Certainly operational colleagues who engaged Alice in the clinical practice environment always spoke very highly of her as, as her fellow students did on her course. Um, you know, her friends and family should be extremely proud of what she achieved. I'm, I'm sure they are, but certainly she's made myself proud um, with, with what she has achieved and accomplishing uh, her parent registration. It sounded like she had all of the attributes to be a, a perfect paramedic. You describe her there as incredibly caring, just naturally as a person. Yes, exactly that. And I think, um, you know, that that is being compassionate and genuinely caring is, is quite difficult to teach. And it is certainly something that I think people have instilled within them. And, and she certainly did. She had, you know, her morals were aligned very well to to be a to be a paramedic and to to care for people in the community of which she did as a student, of course, and for the few months she was qualified as a paramedic. Obviously for, for any training, you have to be incredibly dedicated to get through that training. How tough can it be sometimes to get through the, the paramedic training and, and what's it like over those three years? I should think sometimes they think, oh, is this a job for me? But she clearly wanted to do it desperately. Indeed, yeah, certainly it takes um, a lot of hard work. Um, there's certainly a, a huge commitment in undertaking any health 
um, professional uh, degree qualification, but specifically that of paramedic science as well. And a lot of a lot of dedication and, and sacrifice in your personal life to to achieve the degree. Not only do you have the academic challenges you would on any degree program, but you have the clinical placement thrown at you as well. And of course, Alice studied through um, and came to the end of her program during the pandemic, and that put a lot of challenges upon her and and her fellow students. Um, as well as in, in the academic environment and completing, you know, teaching learning activities and assessments, but also challenging them um, out, of course, in the clinical practice environment as well. And some really, you know, difficult circumstances they, they went through. And certainly Alice did so successfully. And, and again, you know, her family and her friends should be really proud of that. Because, yeah, it certainly takes a lot of hard work to, to accomplish what she did. Well, you can find a link to the fundraising page within Stories About Alice at Kent Online. The WH Smith store in Gravesend Town Centre is going to be closing permanently in March. It comes just days after the branch on Gillingham High Street shut down. Bosses say they're unable to trade viably from the location in Gravesend and the post office is moving to another unit nearby. Travel Lodge has confirmed it's looking at a premises in Deal. The hotel chain is is reviewing the former Poundland store in the High Street as it looks to expand in the county. They recently opened at Discovery Park in Sandwich and announced plans for nine more hotels. A walking route linking central London with the North Kent coast has been opened. It's nearly 50 miles long and runs from Woolwich along the south bank of the Thames to Grain. It's part of Natural England's plan to create a coastal path around England, which will be the longest of its kind in the world. And photos of Sir Winston Churchill and the Queen are going on display in the grounds of his former home in Kent to mark Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee. Churchill and the Crown at Chartwell near Westrum will tell the story of their special relationship after she ascended the throne in 1952. They'd first met when the Queen was just two years old and he became a trusted advisor during the early years of her reign. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham's caretaker manager Steve Lovell says he had no hesitation returning to the club in their hour of need. He was previously in charge of the team from 2017 to 2019 and has come back temporarily after Steve Evans left. Lovell says he's had a great response from the players as he gets them ready for Saturday's game at home to Burton Albion. And a Ramsgate player is on trial with Tottenham this week. Josh Ajayi has scored 19 goals this season and is training with the under-23s at the Premier League side. He's expected to move to another club soon with Stevenage and an unnamed League One club showing interest. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches.